Hey everybody, welcome to Darisha's podcast, Elite Mastery. I created this um, series of podcasts because I felt that um, there's lots of information out there to inspire and motivate individuals like myself and people that I work with uh, throughout the year and all the speeches and talks that I do. So throughout the month and throughout the year, I'll be interviewing people who are experts in their fields and I consider them as masters. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our most recent podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of meeting someone that I admire very, very much. I've known Phil uh, for nearly 10 years now. Phil Bedford is our guest this afternoon. And uh, welcome, Phil. Pleasure to be here, Darren. Thank you very Real much. Real pleasure. Uh, I know that you're in... One thing I admire you about you most is that I see you as an expert in a number of fields, and I want to know how you do that, because you're an amazing, you t- teach salsa. Correct. You, uh, I believe you, you surf. Kite surf. Kite surf. So nearly. And you uh, are absolutely amazing in sales and, and presentation and speaking. So I, when I think about you, I see you as an expert in those fields, not just somebody who's just tipping the toes in. I want to know a lot more about what drives you how you become an expert in those fields, how do you keep that motivation going? So all those are areas I want you to share with us, please. But beforehand, I just met you about half an hour ago, and you got scars on your forehead. I have. Tell me, tell me what's been happening to you. You've gone through the wars, right? <laughs> <laughs> you've, gone, you've gone through the wars. Uh, so yeah, I was actually um, shopping for a Halloween costume. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> now I look like one. <laughs> So I was shopping for this Halloween costume and... Uh, Something was hanging from the ceiling. Nah, check it out. I was, I was walking through the mall and there was a party shop and I saw that it was open before the normal opening time. So I got all really excited. So I'm like, because I'm off to the physio. You walked in the door. There you go, right. So you know they have these security no, metal doors? No. So from a distance, I saw it was open. So I start going quite quick because I'm on the way to the physio. Yes. And, and my phone kind of went off. So as I'm walking, I look down at my phone oh, and then wallet. And of course, they only put it, they didn't close it, open it, just that height, so wallet. And you know what upsets you most? Because it's your own fault. You can't shout or scream at anyone. Well, a mixture of mine and a mixture of theirs putting it in. But I'll tell you what, it gave me a great 60 seconds blog post. About staying, staying, staying on focus with your vision, right? So you're okay then. Perfect, thanks. Uh, but you tell me you're uh, entering a race in uh, February. You said. Yeah, I signed up for my first half Ironman in, uh, on the seventh of February. So what's a half Ironman? What do you have to do? Um, right now, you're going to get me in trouble because I'm so new to it. I'm not quite sure the okay. distances. It's in um, Dubai, is it? It's in Dubai. So it's a long triathlon, basically. So um, it's half of the Ironman distance. Um, so I think, and I'm going to get in trouble with my coach, it's about a 3,000 meter swim, a 90K cycle, and a, um, I think a half marathon. And how long should that take you? Um, I think it's around six, seven hours. Wow. Something like that. So actually on my birthday last year, two of my friends that walked in had just finished the half Ironman. And it was quite funny because they both walked in with these bright red faces <laughs> and then they just sat there like zombies. For so the what motivates you to do it? Because it sounds really painful and um, torturous. Good question. I, I, I like pushing myself physically. In fact, I like pushing myself in a lot of areas. Uh, many years ago, I trained with the, uh, the English Triathlon Club at um, Loughborough University. But at the time, I'd had damaged ankles. So I could only do the swimming part. So I was doing the triathlon, so and I swim. The, yeah, so so yeah, I, I messed up my ankles. I didn't have a bike, so I just did the swim, and that kind of brought it to my uh, uh, 
and my, my vision as it were you know, that I'd like to do it and then when I came here a lot of the guys I started cycling with they're doing the triathlon I was like you know what I've got to give this a go so I hit my 50th this year uh, my first goal was to do a triathlon sprint which I did last year and did it again this year and I thought hey you know I just want to get that what's a triathlon sprint so the triathlon sprint is 5k swim uh, sorry uh, 750 swim uh, 20k cycle and 5k run at speed yeah so it's faster right yeah, so I did that last year, did one this year, and yeah. But do you, well, one thing I don't get is like 3,000 meters swimming. What's going through your mind after like two, 300 meters? Haven't done it yet. Maybe you really? give me a call when I'm halfway through, I'll tell you. Well, I drink nourish. It's that, it's that stamina thing, you know? Like, I can understand sprint, I was, I was a sprinter. It's those long distances, you have to control your mind to keep it on track and not. Yeah, I think I'm more worried about jaws coming up than anything, but apart from that. Are you swimming around the... It's going to be in the sea, right? So, um, yeah, so that's a funny story. When I was eight years old, my dad took me to see jaws. And then immediately, like all good dads do, took me to the beach. To the sea, yeah. <laughs> so Without went, even thinking. It yeah. took me straight to the sea. And I, I, was, I was damaged for life. But you're a good swimmer, though. Yeah, that's when I spent my uh, my youth uh, competing. So tell us a little bit about your background, if you don't mind. You're from the UK. Whereabouts in the UK? Tell us about your childhood. Born in Brixham. Okay. So Brixham is a fishing village in Devon. Yes. So uh, that was my uh, eight, my formative years till eight. Then I lived in the Midlands for another five years, and then moved back down to Brixham. So. So your dad worked. Was he an entrepreneur, or was no? My dad was a welder. Okay. So dad worked for um, well really high level welding, Lloyd's British School of Welding, uh, mum was a nurse, uh, no entrepreneurs in the family at all, and so my dad gave it a go, he had a passion for the sea, so he tried entrepreneurship, had a boat hire, and when I was about um, 13, 14, um, but unfortunately didn't do too well at it. Okay, so what's your memory from that, pain? Uh, my memory from that was, um, yeah, my, my dad not having a good time, so number one, dad being away from home, so that was tough. Um, the pressure put on the family, the fact that he he didn't get the money he needed, spent his life savings. Um, so a lot of negative feelings around entrepreneurship for me. And so, by the way, it's also one of the reasons why it drives me now, because I see a lot of families going through that same challenge, yes. you know? Yes. And I was aware of what it was like as a kid. So I think that's kind of the, one of the pleasures I get now is enabling, helping, helping enable, yeah. keep the family together, right? When you're an entrepreneur, you know, you know the challenge of, well, I'm working 70, 80 hours a week and I'm not seeing the kids and all that guilt and all that. Yes. Well, if you can help facilitate, you know, mm. the transition, it's a, you know, it's mm. a bonus, right? So, uh, absolutely. Are you educated background? Are you, what, you yeah, well, uh, <clears throat> oh, well, yes and no. I left school with a... Um, Back in the days of the uh, CSEs. Yes, yeah, I, did, I did CSE and all There you go, yeah. mate. Well, there you go, I was CSE. So I've, I pretty much only got a history CSE. Okay. I failed everything else. So I ended up putting myself back through college and then failed college. Um, and I ended up um, working on site as a brickies later. Mom and dad disappointed? Did yeah, they especially as my sister got A's and everything. Everything she did, she aced, and I went the other way. So I ended up being a brickies labourer and putting myself, uh, became a chain boy. For a, um, a site engineer, and then I put myself back through college. So I went through the BTEC route. Right. So I ended up from no qualifications to a bit further down the line getting a master's degree in engineering. Oh, so I managed to go through, but I worked my way through. So why did you not quit? Because you got a job, you got had some money. Why did you go back to education? 
and my parents always installed education in me is important um, and I don't like to really fail okay. and I wanted to beat my sister yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, how many brothers and sisters do you have just one sister just one sister Holly okay. She's older than you. Yeah, younger than me. Oh, which made it even worse, okay. right? Okay. So sure. overperforming younger sure, sister. Sure. Yeah. So uh, you got your engineering degree, mm -hmm. and then what did you do after? So I, was, I got my master's in Spain. So the, oddly enough, the, the reason I did the master's was because... Please I, tell me you don't speak Spanish, fluent Spanish as well. Si, hablo español. Oh, my God. Okay, what other languages do you speak? Spanish. Okay, brilliant. Australian, English, American. <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> Canadian, yeah, go on. Um, but no, it's... Um, what was I? Um, oh, remind me of the question. Um, after your degree, what did you do? Ah, that was it. So, um, yeah, well, I was actually studying civil engineering in Plymouth. And I ended up doing the master's in Spain. But the reason I chose the master's was because it fulfilled a number of life goals for me. One was I'd always wanted to go to Loughborough University because of the sport. But because I messed up at school, I didn't get enough qualifications to do sport. So I got to go to Loughborough. Um, also wanted to go to another country and at least six months was going to be in another country because it was a European Masters yes. and I wanted to learn another language plus I wanted to top my sister educationally and so. the Masters did that so it hit four of my life goals in one hit so I went to do the Masters and then uh, never went back to engineering after that so it didn't serve you it didn't serve me uh, from a perspective of um, my career as an engineer because when I finished the Masters we were in recession we couldn't get a job in engineering, so I ended up in recruitment. Um, Which company? Uh, it was a company called, it was the ABC Group, okay. uh, which now I think owns Blue Arrow, or okay. that sort of transition. So I started off in uh, electromechanical engineering recruitment, then construction, and then industrial. It's a tough business. It is. Recruitment's hard, hardcore yeah, sales, you've got two right? customers, right? You've got the customers, yeah. you've got your people looking for a job, they're your customers, and people looking for... Uh, to place positions. Yeah, right? well, I, yeah. I mean, I was never a classic salesperson. I never cold called. I never have cold called. Um, and I was uncomfortable with being branded as a salesperson. And yet, I aced top scores in what? Because in you sales. worked hard and you got yeah, relationships. Yeah, I think relationships and, and working hard, right? And and that, when you go back to the degree, I think that's what what that taught me. Because when you're when you're doing engineering at uni. You know, you're 40 hours of contact, which means you're doing 40 hours of study, then you go home and do another 40. Sure. Whereas most disciplines at uni, it's like three hours contact and then you're down the, right. down the cafe or wherever you want to go, down mm -hmm. the union. Mm -hmm. And so I think it taught me discipline. Uh, you know, that you, you'd have three projects to do, you do one, they give you two more. So they were always overloading you. And I think what it taught me was one, discipline, but two, it taught me networking. And I was in a house of other engineers, so what you did is each person was better at different stuff. So what we used to do is split the workload, wow. come back together, and then help each other because we'd done the work. Perfect collaboration and networking, right? Absolutely. So I didn't realise till later years what we were how doing. How you served Yeah, what we were yeah. doing, right? So yeah, I suppose that's how the degree helped me, but in, not in a way I ever would have thought. So you're going to recruitment. How mm -hmm. long were you doing recruitment? Five years. Did you ever manage anyone or always? No, it was, a, it was a, an account manager role. So um, managing the staff I was taking in, but not in a management. Did you enjoy it? I did in a weird way. Um, I enjoyed the the demanding. You had to turn up in a suit. It couldn't be a blazer. Couldn't be short sleeves. I liked that. Um, I enjoyed the high pressure and the in the um, the results. Um, it wasn't good money, but I think I enjoyed being in a high performing team. You know, you know, it was like... Right. So that competitiveness is always 
yeah. in, in your life yeah. wanting to win yeah they used to make us get rid of the seats and stand up for the afternoon it's a little bit like the film The Boiler Room I sure. enough. so even yeah. though it wasn't cold calling there was that pressure the voice the tonality yeah. the energy yeah. so I enjoyed that I five think. years is a long time it was um, and then I came when I came out to Dubai I got into another role what brought you to Dubai came out on holiday so, a, a friend so how long ago was this? This was 98. Wow, 20 years, 20, 22 years. Yeah, yeah, so a friend of mine was a, an air hostess, so I came out to stay with them. Uh, while I was out here, I went desert driving. And, that was uh, probably the only place to go, right? Desert. Yeah, it wasn't a lot then. Yeah. And there was a group of guys already here. So I went out with them, uh, when we were pumping up the tyres, I got talking to a, a gentleman that owned a business here at the time. And... Uh, I went down and see what he did, he had exhibition stand sales. Um, I went home and he chased me up, offered me a job. And 20 years later you 20 years later. Yeah, I, I was in, in, in England in recruitment, dead man's boots, wasn't going anywhere. And just thought, you know what, <laughs> what the heck, let's go. Uh, but you weren't married then? No, no. You met your wife here? Met my wife here, yeah. Michelle. Michelle? Yeah, yeah, Good memory. Really, yeah, she's a very nice lady. Yeah, she's outstanding. Yeah, very she's, supportive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, from an entrepreneurial perspective, you know, one of the reasons businesses fail is your partner, right? Yeah. And a lot of people don't realise that. And uh, she was particularly in the formative years. She was, and, and even now, you know, in the early years, you you had her solid job. The house was paid for. That took off yes. the pressure, right? Really important. Yes. And then now, you know, just the, you know, the understanding of where you're going, the next step. Yeah, nice payback, right? It's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you, mate. Hey, that's another thing I admire with you, your relationship you have, very strong relationship you have with your wife. It's really, yeah, it's to be admired. Yeah, well, she's, uh, yeah, she's one of my mentors, right? Brilliant. So you worked for this uh, stand exhibition company, mm -hmm. uh, and then what happened next? Because I'm leading to the networking, I'm leading to yeah, the federal okay. marketing. So I was actually quite lucky. So the gentleman that ran the 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 exhibition company. I had a hobby of salsa. I started teaching salsa in the UK. Okay. Um, and when I came here, I, I, I pretty much landed. First night in Dubai, I jumped in the van, they gave me the company van, and I went down to the Savage Garden at the time. Uh, jumped on the dance floor, because I didn't know anyone, so I jumped on the dance floor, and everyone was like, <gasps> What's he doing? This guy's good. Yeah. Wow. And uh, pretty much immediately, there were people saying, can you teach, can you teach? So within no time at all, I was working four nights a week, salsa. Um, and, and I needed it to supplement my income because I, when, I, when I moved here, I didn't actually do the conversion rate. And yes. I found out I was on such bad money, I needed to work. Um, and so... <laughs> the kind of thing you do in your 30s, right? Yeah, as you, as you do. Yeah. Uh, when you're excited and you don't think about sure, it. Right? Sure. So, uh, no, so I started teaching salsa at night. And that, was the, that was the first transition to working for myself. So I had to market it. To, you know, you don't even realise what you're learning, right? What, was the, what was the population of Dubai then? I mean, how many expats were there? Hey, I don't remember. I, small. I it must have been a small community. Smaller, but um, still, still good. Yeah. Mm. And then, um, so you were teaching salsa a few nights a week. Yeah. And you not, still do that now. I so still do it. Yeah. You teach it. I'm off tonight. As soon as we finish here, I rush home. We're gonna stick Although you've got an injury with your leg. Yeah, but don't worry about that. We're gonna stick on my clown outfit and off we go because it's Halloween. So, okay, we're gonna come back to that. <laughs> uh, so you did the salsa. Nights, mm -hmm. uh, you earn that extra income. Mm -hmm. uh, your standard of living improved, and then what do you do? Uh, at the same time as <clears throat> same time as doing that, I got into kite surfing. So um, it was a funny, funny story actually. So a friend of mine, it was the guy whose couch I slept on when I first arrived in Dubai. I hadn't seen him for a few years, 
I'm in a party, we found out it was kite surfing. Oh, I want to get into this. So we started kite surfing and then we, we started to look for cheap kit. And by pure mistake, an international brand sent us their distributor price list rather than their customer price list. And I said to the guys, we should jump on this. <laughs> so um, yeah, so then we jumped on selling the kit. Um, but I wasn't comfortable selling kit without knowing what I was doing. So that led me to go and get a professional qualification in teaching. So I had the salsa, the kite surfing. Then I left the, the exhibition company yeah. um, and moved into real estate. So you didn't go into distribution of uh, the equipment for kite surfing? Yeah, we, we had three brands we represented at one Amazing. point. And that kept going, and then you went to real estate. Uh, yeah, so kind of the same been, time. Uh, just before the boom, right? It was during, so 2009 now, so it was kind of going. I think I missed the boom boom, Okay. but I was certainly in the Wild West times. Amazing. So how did that go? Did you do well? Did you not yeah, it was, yeah, I enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, I, again, I really enjoyed the flexibility. That was my first transition into no basic wage. So commission only, but again, that nice transition of having the salsa, having the kite surfing, which took the pressure it. off. Yeah, I wasn't with my wife at the time; wasn't married. Um, so that was my first. I, I call it an easy transition. But what made you? Because the first time I saw you, you were holding a stage very, very well, professionally mm. speaking, so well, emceeing. What made you so confident? To when did you realize you could stand on stage confidently and do a presentation? Well, actually, um, you remember we met in, a, in that networking room. Yes, group. but I, I, at that time, I saw you a few times. Yeah. And you were doing something on stage. You were representing something, or well, this is the funny thing. Was Sarah, it maybe it's, BNI? It's, was it a big BNI event or something? I that you don't know. Maybe it was like um, get out the rat race or something like that. Those guys were yeah. doing. But the interesting thing is, um, when I first met you, let's go back, say, three or four months before that, or six months before that, um, I was too nervous to stand up and do a presentation. So in, in that BNI networking group, you know, each of the members stands up and does a 10 minute presentation, yes. right? I hid for a year because I didn't know what to do and I was too nervous. Wow. So when I transitioned into the role of them asking me to launch those groups and do the sales conversations, I just kind of did it. And then I suddenly realized, well, actually, yeah, people are pretty really good at this. So yeah. I was scared and I'd been not doing something and I turned out that I really loved. Now you can't get me off a of stage, I love it. But you still get nervous, right? Yeah, of course, but you use the nerves in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, you use them. If you're not nervous in some way, I don't think you respect the audience. Because Michael Jackson said, I think I may have said this on the podcast, that he always got nervous before going on stage. Always. And that made him perform better. Yeah, and I think you recognise what the nerves are, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I used to deal with the nerves with espresso. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'd be a little bit nervous, so I'd go and whack a load of doubles down, but then I realised it actually wasn't so good for me because I was shaking. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't mind the nerves. I uh, don't mind it at all. So um, you got into tell me about referral marketing because you said that you've never called called before, mm -hmm. right? So somewhere along the way, you felt you had something to offer entrepreneurs mm -hmm. that were possibly struggling, or uh, maybe the family life was struggling. How did you how did you go into the referral marketing institute? And okay, so uh, I was so I was in the, in that BNI network. Yes, um, and I'd taken the role of like I said. Um, forming and training these chapters um, and oddly enough I'd always wanted to be in training it was something I experienced as a can as a client years and years ago I thought this is really cool and I'd in my youth I'd um, organized uh, activities for groups of German students um, looked after them organized it done the sales done the promotion so I I'd kind of in my as I did my journey I was preparing 
sure. for this role. So I was kind of an entrepreneur, but without the pressure of having to pay for a business because yes. it was hobbies and sidelines and whatever. And um, at, at, the, at the point in the in the BNI, um, I just finished real estate, so there was a company I was I was starting, and the guy that was running it, I wasn't comfortable with the way he was dealing with things. Sure, his so values. Said, and yeah, his values. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know that's one thing I like about you, your values. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't comfortable with that, so I left that group, found everyone a job that I was working with, and then oddly enough, went back to my old real estate company. They called me back, but they knew I was transitioning. So what had happened is I'd run run the the BNI um, national director here and said, look, I have to step out of BNI because I've I'll quit my it. job. Yes. And he said, good. And I went, what do you mean good? And he says, because I need to talk to you about this thing. And this thing at the time was called Referral Institute. Wow. It's now called Ascentive. And he said, I need to talk to you about this. I'm, they're looking for representation in this market. They want someone to take the GCC. And I think it could be you. So I flew over to Bristol in the UK. And oddly enough, very arrogant because I've been top salesperson every company. You were arrogant. Yeah, in, in, not, in a, not in a nasty way, but in, in a... Maybe overly I confident. I know it all way. Oh, overly yeah. confident. Yeah, because I've been top salesperson every company I've worked in. Um, I've been teaching networking in this BNI group. Um, you know, I've, I've done all this, and I was like, yeah, what can you teach me? Come on, I know it all, right? You know, I know what networking is. Uh, and then when I sat down, I just went, whoa, I, yeah. I've been in primary school. And so um, I jumped in with both feet, didn't really understand how it worked, but there was something in there that was calling me and jumped in direction. And it's just been, 11, that was 11 years ago. Are you and still doing that? Though? Still doing it, mate. Wow. Uh, so now I own the GCC and South India. That's amazing. Is this something that um, you have exclusivity over? Correct. Do you have a team of people or are you doing this I have franchisees. Uh -huh. So it is master franchise. I have franchisees, uh, always looking for more. And I have a team of coaches. So coaches who have their own businesses but are certified to do what I do. So if somebody wants to become a, a franchisee, mm -hmm. what would they have to invest time-wise, financial? What could be their rewards for it? Well, rewards are changing people's lives. I mean, that's the, the, the be-all and end-all. Okay, so you need somebody to work with someone who actually is passionate about changing people's lives for the better. Yeah. And it could be someone who's either succeeded or failed in business. Okay. You know, interesting failure they've learned. Right? Yeah, exactly right. But you know, a lot of our franchisees are people who built businesses successfully, but the business has been more a labour of finance rather than a labour of love. And what they're missing is that, you know, that um, I want to leave. Yeah, I want to leave a legacy. I want to make a difference. I've earned this business. It's paid a bit, but I want to make a difference. And when you can, when again, going back to my dad, when you see the pain people are going through, if you can, if you have a tool to help them with that, that's huge, right? And so we get people that will do, they'll, put, they'll park their other business, put someone in charge of it, then come and join us. Or they've already got a coaching business or a sales business and they take our products as a license to add to that. Okay. Um, but you know, it's interesting, um, uh, going back to my history, uh, it's something you can learn. That's the thing, what we teach, you can learn it. Uh, and I remember when I was, um, I was 15, I was quite a chubby kid. I was ginger, I was clever classic bullying scenario right so so my early years I was heavily bullied um, and that's installed in me something again when I see people being bullied and I you want to stand up yeah, yeah. and they could be but not necessarily bullied by a person here. but it yeah, yeah but it could be being bullied by the economy it could be being bullied because you don't know how to do your by the job system what the system yes. whatever right but I want to get in there and help you know mm. so if I have to join help like when I joined BNI I joined the chapter that was struggling I didn't join the one that was succeeding you know and, and when I was um, 15, 
I'll never forget, my mum says to me, right, it's your 15th birthday, I'm gonna put a party on for you. So she cooked all this food, got this drinks in, and dad, mum, sister, all, all went out for the night. And uh, they came back three hours later and walked into the, into the room and I'm there, sat on my own, nobody came. And you know what? It was my own fault. I didn't invite anybody. Why? You think nobody was interested? Because I didn't think anyone would come. So, I put myself through all that pain because I wouldn't invite anyone, right? And if you look at, if you look at a lot of entrepreneurs out there, you know from your experience, they have, they, they've got something they're really passionate about. Like I'm a dentist, I'm a lawyer, I'm a designer. But they don't want to get into involved in sales. They don't want to promote themselves because, you know, oh, if I promote myself, I'm no good at what I do. Or if I have to learn this, then I don't. They're uncomfortable with that. So... When I look at myself now and I, I organise a networking event or I... Or it, so, it, but you know what's amazing? You actually took, age 50, you took full responsibility for it, right? Yeah. Because most people blame. Yeah. Most people become victims, don't they, yeah. of circumstances. It's really interesting because you actually, you took full responsibility. It was my fault. I didn't do it. Yeah. Right? Because I didn't think people will come, so I didn't do that. Yeah. So you're taking ownership. Well, it is, mate. Yeah, absolutely. And the first thing people are do is take ownership. Because they yeah. can make a difference in their own lives, right? Yeah. Instead of blaming the economy, blaming the system, blaming the bullies. Yeah. And here you go. But I spent a lot of money, by the way, on myself mm. to deal with that. Because, because I was bullied, uh, there's still elements of it in me now. You know, if I get against someone who's super, you know, A-type personality or super, you know, that little guy that was bullied fires up. And um, so, you know, I spent a lot of time dealing with that and a lot of money on NLP and coaching and da 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 chipping away at that baggage so I could be who I am today. And a lot of people like me don't work on themselves. They work on their skills, but they're not working on themselves. And unless you work on who you are, you know, your skills will never be as good as they could be because you sabotage yourself. So you're your own biggest judge. You're your own biggest... Absolutely. Right, my old boss used to say to me, I don't have to tell you off, Phil, because you're always ten times harder on yourself. Absolutely. I say that. I say, if I was another person here, he'd be locked up for torture, right? Because what's going on inside is so abusive. Maybe not always a good way, but always not enough. Always want to do more. Always want to give more. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, congratulations. So, um, you start to helping people. Mm. Where, why do you think that most people don't succeed in growing their businesses? I think... Because it hurts me, There's numerous me. reasons, there's numerous reasons. Um, I think the entrepreneurial curse is, as much as it's a benefit, which is I'm gonna get out there and do it, the curse is I don't need help. Mm. So there's an arrogance that can come with that, which is I know it all. Um, now, from what I've seen is some people can do it all themselves because they've either got just excessive drive, um, but it's a lot tougher because you need money. Or you can do it yourself and accept the fact you don't know it all and surround yourself with resources. Yes. So, and the resources can often help you grow your business for free because you get the knowledge. And that's, that's kind of where I sit. Yes. Is, well, it can be a lot easier if you open yourself up to the people that have the knowledge that you don't have. And you can surround yourself. It's like building your, it's like building your dream team for football, right? You say, right, well, I'm not a winger, but I'm a defender. Or I've got a goalkeeper. And so what you do is you build and surround yourself with all these different skill sets. All of you contribute not, to each not other, not necessarily right? paying. It's no, 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 no. It's, it's a group of people that help, help each other, other, right? Yeah. 
and so and you, just because somebody's helping you doesn't mean you're desperate. I find that people say, I can't ask for help because I come across as desperate. Nah. But it's not, it's the way you ask, right? Yeah. Yeah, because you come as a contributor, right? So we're very much into mastermind groups now as well. And so, and so that's all about, well, if I'm just looking at myself, I'm one mind. But if I surround myself with 20 other entrepreneurs with all their experiences and all Imagine their uses and all their skills, it. well, that's 20 times one mind, mm-hmm. plus the exponential addition of all those things. Uh, but it takes, like I said, you've got to be a little bit humble to, to say that I don't know it all and put yourself in that environment. There are different uh, mindsets, there's different peer groups. How do you choose? Because one of my challenges was I was either, I've never right in the right peer group. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I was either two above or two below. Mm. Where do you where do you enter, and how many different mastermind groups are there? Um, where do you place? Like if you're yeah. if you're a multimillionaire, yeah, or yeah. if you're just a startup, yeah. How do you choose, and how do you find where to go? Well, I think what you've got to do is you've got to look for a level that's approximately yours. Okay. Okay, and this is just my opinion, right? Sure. You know, if I like say so you've got a startup and they're in there with a the guy who's looking to exit a business. Well, one person's gonna benefit from that to an extent, but the conversation's so far removed exactly. and the challenges are so different, one of them's not gonna benefit or one of them will get bored or failure, right? So you've gotta have a load of startups around each other. And then you've gotta have a load of ex- exiting entrepreneurs around each other. And so I think what you've got is you've got that level where you're all having the same conversation. Does your organization right? help you find those mastermind groups? If somebody yeah, that'll be part of it, right? That's amazing. Yeah, and then especially if you get the right person, you can actually build a group around them. Uh, so that's another element. So I mean, one of the reasons they fail is the wrong people. Another one is, you know, you need to have service people around service people and then product around product. This is a different conversation. Right. Uh, and of course, the people that are running it. So, you know, it's scientific to do masterminds all over the world. I think we've, and they're great. I mean, whichever way you look at it, they work, right? Um, but some of them fail and I think it's because maybe it's the wrong people, the wrong person leading it, trying to cram people in just for yes. sake of money. I think it's about yes. finding that balance, really. That's amazing. And um, what makes a great leader to open up a good mastermind group and to keep driving it and growing it and make sure that everybody contributes where other mastermind groups fail? Could it be ego? Could it be lack of drive? Could it be f- for the wrong reasons? What, what's the most common reason? I think maybe the answer is that yes, yes, yes. Eh? Hmm. Because you've seen it all. I haven't seen it. I'm sure there's loads I haven't seen. Um, and I've spent a lot of time talking to people that have run other masterminds and you know there's some great people out there and I've been part of ones that where do you spend most of your time motivating people building them up managing them most of my time is involved with entrepreneurs in their journey so it's either coaching or because as much as we've got the mastermind side we've also got and now here's the tools to help you make it work so there's two elements to this yes most of my time currently is in the, in the tool side uh, so whether it's one-on-one or in a group, that's the majority of my time. Um, I, and you know what, from a selfish perspective as well, if you're a sponge, as much as you're helping them with you your learn. expertise, exactly, you're mm. learning as well. And, and I think that, you know, you need to approach entrepreneurship as a sponge, not as a bullet. What I found, uh, agree with everything you say, what I found quite fascinating is that when I was doing one, myself as a consultant to a business, even if the salespeople were commission only, mm-hmm. didn't necessarily mean they were driven. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. These guys were not earning any money mm-hmm. and they weren't keeping themselves busy. 
-hmm. They're on their phones, playing games, wasting time, chit-chatting, and they knew they were on commission only. Amazing. So what I found out, but I, what I think is that motivation is within. Mm -hmm. You either, whether you have money or not, you're either a motivated person or you're not. And that's what you gotta work on, I think. Mm. I don't think you can teach motivation. If somebody is, doesn't have enough money to eat at night and can't be bothered picking up that phone, making a call, this is a problem there. Yeah, you're right. It's funny what people are motivated by, isn't it? But exactly, you've got to motivate yourself. True, and often what I wonder is that if you had that organization of 30 people, do you have the time to spend in the, you know, working with individuals, find out what motivates them to work with them individually, or you just have a common cause, let's go, and there's got to be some passengers left behind. So that's something that I've always, I've always been on this fast train, and I'm going to lose a lot of people along the way. But you know, I think, uh, I think one of the things that's frustrated me over the years is, you know, you know let's say I'm, I'm sharing a, a program, and there's 100% success you can have, and people are at, let's say, I don't know, 60% of a plot application, and you can see there's another 40% they're missing. And they drop, you know, they move on. And you're like, oh, but the other 40%, you could be here, you could be there. And it took me a while to realize it's because they're okay with that. Yeah. They've hit the point they're okay with, and the other 40%, they've it's moved on. Give or take. And, and, and so what you've got to do is you kind of got to say, well, I can do as much as I can do, and then as long as they're okay with what they've got, Yes. Then that's the important thing, right? I bet you, you get people contacting you years later saying, thanks, Phil. What you taught me years ago, I get that all the time. What you taught me five, six years ago, it's changed my life today. Because yeah. sometimes it's timing as well, isn't it? Yeah. They take it, they might not do anything with it, but two, three years down the line, suddenly those skills are serving them well, would you say? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, I, there's two, two elements to that. One is, um, I think... Uh, do you know the oddest ones when you say it from the stage and you don't even remember saying it and someone comes up to you and says, oh, you said this, yes. and you know, did I? <laughs> and you never know what's going to hit someone, right? But the other thing is, I think, when you share, when you share knowledge, um, let's say, oh, I don't know, I teach you how to make a pair of wings, right? And I teach you that, and you don't make the wings. And then six years later, they go to a program where they get taught to make a pair of wings, and, they, and you see them flying, and they're going, oh, this guy's so good, he taught me to make a pair of wings, and you're like, I showed you that. Yes. But the things they weren't ready to hear it. Yes. Sounds like my kids. Yeah. <laughs> I teach my kids all the time, yeah. but I hear it off a podcast or something. Come and tell, Daddy, I learned this today. I said, I taught you that yes. five years ago, right? Well, I'm just thinking maybe because I'm the dad that don't listen to me. So, um, again, you come across a guy who knows a lot more than I do, and, and, and you do. Where do you still learn from? Where do you go learning? How do you, how do, you do you still read books? Do you put yourself on courses, do you travel? Where's your, where's your growth right now um, coming from? By the way, I take issue with you saying no, I know more than you. I think that's, uh, no, I think I you're think being you, very humble there. I no, think thank you, I think you do. Uh, no, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. But I really mean that. I see you as an expert in lots of things. I look up to you. I really, really do. My Vice heart. Versa. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. Thank you. So where do you keep pushing yourself? Where do you keep challenging yourself? Where do, do you, you learn I, from all the I, time? Gee, that's a great question, um, and I don't know is the answer to that. Um, I value education, I value pushing myself, I hate exams. So I'm not an academic learner, but I'm a learner. And my wife's always like, oh my gosh, you're on another course, you're on she's another in education. Course. And yes, yeah, she's in education, yeah. right? Um, but it's, um, I, I, I really don't know what drives me, mate. Um, 
It's not money, is it? It's not money. Do you know, I'm I'm economically minded. I like to have good things. I like to be secure. And yet you're right. It's it's not... It's not your primary... No, it's not. Although my mates, if ever they listen to this, will completely disagree with you. They'll tell me I used to go to a cafe or a bar and then, you know, when it was my round, I'd disappear to the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they'll tell you. But, (laughs) but, um, yeah, I don't know. Something inside you. Yeah, something about... Do you think it's, is your father still with us? He is, yeah, yeah. Is this something that maybe you want to show your father to be proud of, or something, or parents to be proud of? Because that's something I've looked back and I think it's been my motivation. Mom, mom, I've done it now. Mom's approval, even if I'm in my fifties. I think think ultimately all we want to make our parents proud, right? Mm. Uh, I do remember they they certainly didn't have it easy. So, mum was a nurse. I said that was a welder. You know, I remember money was tight, so I remember them giving me 50p pocket money. Yeah. And I do remember them coming back and asking to borrow it back so they could pay for food, right? And so it certainly wasn't easy. And yet they always installed in me. My dad was brilliant at this, actually. He was like, I'll show you once, and that's it. And so he always showed me whatever it was. That, you know, I'd go in and do it myself. And so that was my mindset. Wow. Um, so I think that maybe it is... Was he a man's man type of guy? He was very alpha male type person. Were you close to him? Um, oof. Yeah, that's a weird one. Um, Love the guy a lot. Uh, at the end of the day, I think I was, I actually grew up scared of that. Um, and uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I wouldn't say we were close. Um, but yeah, I mean, Are I you closer now? Are you closer We're closer now. now. I think um, it's odd if ever you've done any, if you've ever done any therapy and stuff. You know, the, the person that you're furthest away from is the one you're always ultimately trying to please, right? So, you know, when I look on Facebook and I've got a comment from Dad, you know, it's... Lights, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, Dad's watching, you know. Although his humour's rather strange. Sometimes I have to delete the comments. But that's, yeah, but that's his way of saying... <laughs> absolutely. I'm proud of you. I'm yeah, happy absolutely. With you. And, and I think, yeah, when you say, were we close, you know, I know if he's listening to this, then he won't be hurt with that because he knows we were not the closest... Um, but there was certainly, I think, a father-dad respect um, yes. and love. Um, but yeah, me and my mum are very close. We're mates. It's um, amazing. But it's different, right? I th- you can't How's be mates with everybody, doing? right? How's your sister doing? What does uh, she? What does she end up doing? Oh my gosh, my sister's just a pistol. She's um, she left uh, Bristol Uni with like an A in a uh, first. So it's first, first in what she did. She went straight to Art France and Ernst and Young. She's now a partner in a law firm in Plymouth. Wow, she's I mean, a lawyer. She, yeah, um, accounting. Wow, High-level accounts, works right. in mergers and stuff, company mergers. Um, she's got four beautiful kids, uh, bought them pretty much up on her own. And um, still very successful. Yeah, although she's married now, remarried now, she's yes. a fabulous guy. Um, but she did it all herself. I mean, she's just amazing. So amazing. something maybe in your DNA to have uh, a brother and a sister being successful, maybe. Well, I think it's got to come back to your parents, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, nature versus nurture and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, my, my sister was the first one in the family to go to uni, as far as I know. Um, I was reading that um, it's through suffering you grow, mm-hmm. through seeing hardships. So that's why I worry about my kids, because they haven't seen suffering, mm-hmm. you know, and what's going to be there, how strong they're going to be when they have problems later on in life. You know, what's going to be their driving force? Because my driving force, I'm from a poor background, uh-huh. and I never want to go there again. Uh-huh. And 10 years ago, when I met, I lost everything. Uh-huh. I never want to, it's so hard. Mm. In middle age, you lose everything, yeah. it's so hard. And I don't want to go there again, that's my driving force. It's not a negative one though, 
Does that make sense? I don't, I, get, I don't get driven by having nicer cars or nicer boats and stuff like that. I'm actually driven by not losing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. But it's interesting. It's, it's driving away from pain. But you said an interesting thing there, and, it, and I, I think about this a lot, and I see a lot of people in Dubai who are second generation, right? And first generation built it. Now, they build it, and often, the, the, with respect, the, the thing is, I'm doing this so my kids never have to go through what I do. And yet, I think what we do when we have that attitude is we line them up to fail. Absolutely. And so, because they've never been through, so one is the, is the entrepreneur doesn't want to let go, so they don't. The second is the, the kids get it easy. So what you get then is you get a different mindset running the business. Now by the third generation, you imagine how that's yeah. So this is not ninety five percent of um, family run businesses are bust by the third generation. Yes. And I think what it is, it's because of that filtering. Yes. And so you know this. I can see the way you're nodding. This and and it's a real. I mean, I'm sure you you put things in place with your kids, but I think. Um, you know, it's that you see like the uh, these programs in the UK where the millionaire makes their kids start from the ground up because they recognise that if they don't it's do needed. that, yeah. Quick story: James Khan is my next door neighbour, and James Khan from Dragons Den mm-hmm. is my next door neighbour in Thailand. I live mm-hmm. half the month in Thailand. Mm-hmm. We we're having a chat, and he told me a story about uh, meeting Bill Gates in Davos, mm-hmm. and he said he just picked up Bill Gates's email, sent him an email. Bill Gates said, "Come and see me tomorrow morning at nine o'clock." So he just mm-hmm. turns up expecting loads of bodyguards, nobody there sits with him and they talk about charity. Mm. And it turns out to Bill Gates says, may I ask why you decide to give all your money away? And if he's listening, I apologize if I get the facts wrong, but what yeah. Bill Gates said is that he spent a lot of time and money through university research, found out that most billionaires, when they left their money to their families, their families started destroying each other. Mm. As is a second generation, mm. third generation. So what he decided to do, give all his money away, leave a little bit for his family so at least the children can be together yeah. for generations to come. Because when he actually studied it, and most of these billionaires' families, they grew apart, they ended up hating each other, and um, that was his driving force. And then, obviously, he's very careful where he spends his money with his charities. Amazing. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. So if you had to give advice to let's, uh, people who... I totally agree with you. I teach sales, mm-hmm. and I'm not scared of using the word sales, mm-hmm. but I know the moment I say sales, 99% of the people are put off because they have mm-hmm. this second-hand car salesperson and blah, mm-hmm. blah, and they do everything they can to avoid the word sales in the business mm-hmm. cards. Business development manager, account manager, relationship, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, but they avoid sales. So, so I, I really understand why people come to yourself because they don't like sales. They often say, I'm not a salesperson, but I'm a great dentist, this, this, this. Mm. What advice would you give them? And by the way, I believe 80% of your growth of your business is through referrals. Right. Yeah, Although yeah. I'm in marketing and sales, I believe, maybe I'm wrong with those figures, but around 80% of your growth is through referrals. How would you, top three things you could educate entrepreneurs on growing their business without having to physically sell? Um. Long the, question. Yeah, uh, you know, I think the. <laughs> might have to ask you this again. Ask me that again because I'm escaping to go from on a tangent. I think number one is is you know this whole thing of sales because I used to be there. I had that same mindset. I'm not a brush salesman, and I think someone said to me, "Sales isn't about sales. It's about asking someone to let you serve them." So it's just changing that dynamic. How do you present what you do so they can choose to buy? Yes. You know, so number one's that. You know, you're not trying to sell something to someone who doesn't want it. All you're doing is having a conversation, finding the gaps, 
and allowing them to buy it. And you're doing it just through languages. So most of it's getting people out of their own way. Right? Something you said is very interesting is that if you're adding value, you're doing them a favor, right? Mm -hmm. They just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. So you know you're going to fix their headache, they just don't know it yet. Absolutely. So when you close the deal, call it closing, or say, when can I start serving you? It's actually you doing them the favor, correct? Yeah, mindset change. And most people don't see it that way, do they? They think, oh, he's got the cash. Yeah. I've got to kind of beg for that cash. Because yeah. they don't really value what they're offering on the table, would you say? You got it. I think there's another thing you can do as well, um, is, is know why you do what you do. So if you're selling something you fundamentally believe in, and you know why you're doing it, right? When you start asking for the sale, don't think about money. Think about why you're doing what you're doing. Think about the pain you're trying to alleviate. So when you're, when you're having that conversation, engage that mindset in yourself. And especially people that are that very sensitive, like ladies and particularly ladies, yes. they'll pick up on, on the energy of you trying to do a good service rather than going for the money. The authenticity. Yeah. And a, oh, oh, by the way, if it's not right for them, don't well, try and sell it. Sure. Let them know. And I think one of the best testimonials you can ever get from someone is, well, actually, they told me I didn't need it. Imagine that as a testimony. Yes. Um, but the trust was built, but I told my friend to use his service because he was very honest. There you go, right? Mm. And as when I'm doing a consultation, you know, I'll end up referring, you know, in the past I've referred a good friend of ours, Dave Crane, because, you know, they need to speak in a certain niche. Or a good friend of mine, sales coach, Ramos Halu. You know, I'll refer what they need. And what that does is that engages trust because you're saying, well, look, you don't need me, but I've recognized somebody else the great person for you, right? Yeah. So then it enters this whole loop of people looking after each other. And uh, I think that's a nice energy to come from. Thank you. You made um, a business out of referrals. Mm. Would you care to share some bonus uh, help? So so yeah. yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things there. If you, if you are thinking of launching a business and you are an expert in dentistry, law, whatever you're an expert in, um, just recognize the fact that there's absolutely no point being the world's best kept secret. You know, and, and we see this a lot with coaches, you know. Um, you know, I'm so good at what I do that if I have to market myself, then I'm not really that good because they should come to me. Mm. And you've got to realize the minute you start a business, you're no longer a lawyer, you're a business owner. And that transition means that you need to be doing more sales and marketing than doing your own job. And, and so how would somebody start? Let's say they're, they're a lawyer or an accountant. Mm. Where would they go, Phil? Where, where would they? I know BNI served me well. Mm. It really, really did. And it gave me confidence to stand up in front of people. For six mm. years, I was a BNI member in the UK. Okay. And it really, really served me. Where would you say somebody should start? Where should they start talking to people, reaching out? Well, I think it depends where they are in their journey and what their needs are, right? Uh, and it isn't for everybody, by the way, the whole relationship marketing. It's just not for everybody. Yes. Um, um, I think it's recognizing the power of relationships. Um, you know, we talk about referrals, but it's also about recognizing that referrals are different to word of mouth, which is different to direct prospecting, which is different to collaboration, which is different to, and, there's, and these are all relationship bound. Yes. But until we can, actually word of mouth generates more business than referrals. Really? Um, people don't realize that. And so until you realize where it's coming from and what it is, well, how can you put purpose behind that? And oddly enough, setting yourself up as an expert by leveraging things like blogging, public speaking, writing a book, all this sort of stuff, this is all part of what we do, right? That's, so that's social marketing. media, you say, is part of what yeah, you Yeah, absolutely. Because what happens, you know? You know, I go and meet you, and then you check me out online. But the thing is, social media 
as a tool is really good at PR, building credibility and all that. Uh, for a lot of business B2B, it may not convert as much as people hope, yes. right? But the thing is that it's a massive it, it becomes touches, right? Yeah. It touches. So you've seen them online, you've seen somebody else say that, then you've seen them on a, uh, a speaking gig, then you've heard them on the radio, well, suddenly you're highly credible. But what people try to do is they go straight for the kill. It's like, I'll do a cold call, I'm in. Well, what about all that stuff before? Yes. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's not the website's the only solution. It's not SEO's the only solution. It's not referrals are the only solution. You know, we need to have the whole bag. Yes. Uh, In your courses, do you teach them for the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Wow. Uh, and, until it gets to sales, and then I refer to the sales expert. Okay. But, you, you know, I look at marketing as in, marketing's opening the door, sales is closing it behind it. Absolutely. Right? Um, a very good friend of mine, actually, um, Ramis. So one of my co consultants now is a, a guy called Khaled Horab. Uh, Khaled's one of the coaches that's doing well in this region. And he first went to... Coaching? Coaching. Uh, he's an IC, ICF certified uh, MC. Really right up there. He's doing really well. Um, but instead of being one of the struggling guys, he's actually doing really well now. So he's working with the Dubai government. Um, yeah, he's just doing so well. But anyway, when he first went to Ramis, he, said, he walked in with Ramis and Ramis, he said, Ramis, Ramis, I need more clients. And Ramis did a consultation on him, as you do, and he turned around and said, Hal, he says, you don't have a sales problem. He says, you've got no one to sell to. You have a marketing problem. And I think a lot of people out there don't know the distinction between marketing and sales. So, yes. company, so not enough people had heard of it. Not yeah. one, well, enough the thing is, you can it. only sell to people you're in front of. Sure. So you've got to understand that you've got to get in front of them to sell to them. And so what, did he, what did he have to do? Well, he came to me then. Okay. to learn how to build his credibility on and offline, how to get the referrals, but also when someone refers you, they check you out online. Where's your blogs, where's your history, where's your credibility? So you build up all that, so when you get your introduction through whatever manner, whether it's referrals, yes. word of mouth, whatever, then you come in with credibility, because the more credible you are, the, easier, the less sales you have to do. Wow. So if Oprah Winfrey comes in and says, oh, hi, I want to buy from you, she has to do very little sales, because she's highly credible, right? Absolutely. Most people are not that. Most coaches, most experts are good at what they do, but when you check them out online, there's nothing there. But it's an ongoing process, isn't it? Absolutely. You have to do juggle both at the same time Absolutely. and continue improving Absolutely. your uh, marketing. But we need it all, right? And you unfortunately, most people... You have to be obsessed, don't you? Yeah, you have to be obsessed do. by... Uh, but you know what it is, in, in my experience, a lot of people, they, they recognise they need the website, but they go and put, for example, you need it all, but they'll go and put too much money in the place at the wrong time. Yes. And you know, this it's about balancing your finance, putting your money in where it works, and then as you get more money, then you can start looking at the other Correct. things. But Correct. people, unfortunately, go and do what they did when they had a big job, and in a big company, what do they do? Website, advertising, marketing. You do Got that it. as a small business, you bust. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I think that's what I enjoy is we put them in the communities with people who say, well, I did this and it didn't work, and I did that and it didn't work, and it's finding out what works. Where do your, where do your teams meet? Um, I do a lot of uh, yeah, hotels or... currently. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, we, uh, yeah, um, because of the environment, it, it just works. Yes. Um, so yeah, staying in the hotels, meeting the hotels, it works for business around Dubai. Yeah, the energy in the place. Yeah. I remember before I had a license, I used to work in hotels uh, at hotel lobby, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, every couple of weeks we got thrown out of the hotel lobby because I only drank one bottle of water. <laughs> And I had 20 <laughs> meetings, used the Wi-Fi and left, and it got thrown out. So I don't think I'm welcome to many hotels in, uh, in Dubai. I'm quite but popular on the other side because I, I bring in... You're spending money well, though, right? Well, I spend money, but also I bring in a ton of business owners, Absolutely. right? 
So I bring in business owners, and most of mine are small businesses who are going to be thought leaders. So when they turn around going, oh, I need someone to do my sessions, That's I give them to the hotel. Fantastic. So I think it's, this is my mindset, is, you know, if you can, if you'll provide, so here you go, so my accountant, right? So wherever you spend your money, can you also earn money? Absolutely. So this is a concept. I think about it, so I've got an accountant, I had an accountant years ago, and he was brilliant at what he did, right? Absolutely amazing accountant. I paid him, he did my accounts, but you could have, he could have sat there and someone would have said, um, uh, I need to learn about networking. And he, he, wouldn't, have, and he, wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have done yeah. it, he just wouldn't have taken action, mm -hmm. right? So a couple of years later, I moved my accountant to someone else, so they're now looking after my services, actually Excel Accounting, so they now look after me. Yes. Um, and they have passed me business. So now I'm getting accounts done, but I'm also earning business because my supplier has a business generation mindset for me as the client. But you had to coach them? Or they were already... They've been my client, they've been my client. They, both of them have got the mindset of helping anyway. But that's the thing, wherever we're spending money could also be an earner, but yeah. people don't think in that way. True. And also what I find is when people are networking, we're going to talk about networking, mm -hmm. and they try to sell to the person they're networking with, right? Mm -hmm. They often just build that trust and they can give you the business, correct? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's the trouble. You find where they, they meet yeah. someone and think, right, I've got to sell to this person, but that's not the case, is it? No, you're right. And that's because people don't understand what networking is. You know, networking is the start of a relationship. It's like, okay, so it's like me walking up to a lady I've never met, never met before and saying, hey, marry me. Yes. And they're gonna be okay, I'll stick out you. Well, that's what people are doing at networking. Actually, if you do like the lady, what you'll do is you'll probably you'll smile. Yes. Well, I'll probably smile, mm. and I'm a bit shy, so I might smile from a distance. <laughs> but you know, you walk up and you smile, then maybe you shake hands, then maybe you have a conversation, maybe you go for a coffee, maybe it moves to a meal. You know, it's a build-up. It's a build-up, right? And that way, you know, you also get time to check each other out and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, she may in the process be saying to her friends, hey, you know, this guy's all right. Yes. Now, if you're just going for, and that's the thing, when people are going networking, they're going for the marriage straight away. Okay. And if you actually, if you statistically look at it, if you go to 100 people, and these are sales stats, if you go to 100 people and sell to 100 people who are in the market for what you're selling, only 2% will buy on the first occasion. Right. The rest take the time. The rest of them, well, by the way, if I go in and jump on you at a networking event and I sell at you, I'm like, hi, Darius, how you You're like, Yo, go away, right? Exactly. So that 98% are going to go, well, actually, this guy's an idiot. I won't go anywhere near him. So I might close 2%, but I've lost 98%. Opportunity, gone. Right, gone, right? But people don't realise that. Now, if I go back to that event and I, I try and build a rapport with that guy, well, actually, if you go back to people between 5 and 12 times, between 5 and 12 times, 85% of the people that are in the market for what you're buying will buy from you. Where do you, where do you cross the line? Because I, I met people who say, just before you came, a lady was here and saying, look, Darish, I keep giving and giving and giving, and it doesn't turn into business. Mm. Do you start the relationship by saying that I'm hoping to do business with you in the future if we share the same values, or do you just contribute? Do you get to know them? Where do you cross the line from social to business? Do you know, I mean, you've got to give, they so say you give without expectation, right? The minute you, you're expecting back, you're immediately making a transaction. So contribute, contribute. Contribute, contribute. yeah. Now, at the, at the same time, there's a lot of takers out there. So it's also about recognizing people that are takers and people that are just genuine. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't have to be helping someone in business. You could help them with advice, you can help them with just being a nice guy. But 
it's also about because we've got limited time it's about strategically finding the people you want to help yes not just that's the machine gun effect everyone you see you meet yeah there you go right because there's thousands of people out there now if i could but you've also got to go back to the place that allows you to get those contacts now, if i go to this networking event once and help everybody then i go to the one of 10 miles away and help everybody well the chances of that ever coming back are minimal because i never go back for them to return the favor what we've got to do is find the same networking event and keep investing in it and that allows people to generate the energy it's like warming up air right or warming up water you know if you keep doing it in the same place things happen right but unfortunately most people are doing what we call scorched earth networking which is go from this event to this event to this event and they never get back so there's no quick answer to this um but really it's but you've got to be genuine you've got to be honest you've got to be yourself yeah, you've got to want to help right i mean there's you know there's people that give so they can get you know mm-hmm. and, then, and then there's people that give because they want to help and then yes. the universe kicks in but you can also help that by being in the right place with the right people i often say it's like those people who open the door and the other person doesn't say thank you and they want to kill them right because <laughs> you're doing it conditionally aren't you? you open the door for them expecting for them to say thank you right yeah and that's also cultural though yeah but if you open the door and let them go irrespective of what they say you don't care that's unconditional right (laughs) that's what i say anyway i said just open it i said to my wife just open the door let them go if they say anything it's a bonus but don't get upset and she always says thank you as they walk by so uh, yeah but yeah that's a cultural thing isn't it because some cultures it's like well all you did was open the door for me yes whereas in england it's a big thing. Yeah, it'd be rude if you didn't say that. Yeah, so I think it's cultural. It's so true. So may I ask, where did you get the time to do all this? Uh, and and be a great husband too. Do you, know, do you, do you make special time for each other? Do you go on date nights? Does she come dancing with you? Uh, she doesn't come dancing a lot because she's a teacher, so she's up at five. Um, but yeah, I mean, every weekend, you know, we'll, we'll do something. Um, Would you say you were disciplined? Discipline's important, right? It is, mate. But I save a lot of time. So I'm, I'm, one of the things I love doing is, is and I think I help my clients with it, is save time. My experience, most people are wasting two days a week. You know, I mean, all these people have no time if to listeners, do Listeners are listening to you now. What would you advise them to, well, to, to it's, have it's more time? Well, things like driving, right? You know, um, and I can't, I can't know, so I see everyone's schedule. But I know most people are driving from one meeting to the next one, you know, across town. Then they drive back downtown. No territory management. No territory management, no calendar management. No say, well, I'm in this area of town this day, get all your meetings around that area. I'm in this town, let's get the meetings around that area. And what? And it's a little bit like the the tails wagging the dog. Yes. You know, so I say that to my salespeople. Just because they say I'm available, it was a, I'm in. No. You actually base it around you where you are. Yeah. Act as if. Act as if you're the busiest. Act as if you your time is tight. Well, and at the end of the day, you're in a partnership with your clients, right? Yeah. You know, if they can't respect your time, they're not going to give you the time to help them. Exactly. So it is a partnership, and ultimately they're the client. But you can still ask to, can you can you make it? Can you move this time? I'm not available then. Are you? Now, I appreciate there's cultural elements in there, depending on who you're dealing with. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can ask, um, you can save yourself a ton of time. So you, you manage your time very carefully. Mm-hmm. So driving is one. For um, a business person starting, how do they manage the time? What percentage should be spent uh, selling, marketing? What, what do you advise them to do? At the beginning, a lot of selling, recruiting, well, training. Well, again, it's a mixture, isn't it, between selling and marketing because you've got to have the clients to sell too. Correct. So def- I'd say to anyone, go to a sales trainer as one of your first jobs. You know, so learn how to market smart, okay? 
look into what we do. I, I'm a big believer. If you don't want to come to me, go online and learn. But you know, learn and then see, make sure you see a sales coach. I didn't do it for years, uh, and when I finally went to sales training, I was like, oh my gosh. I should have done this years ago. Well, the trouble is, that, but there you go. I, I was waiting for the company for, to pay for me to do it. Like most people are, right. and even when they work for themselves, they're still waiting for someone else yes. to pay for it. Employee to do mentality. It. Yeah, employee mentality. You've got to learn that if you want it, you've got to go out there and pay for it. And um, yeah, that'll be one of my tips. Learn, learn, learn. Value learn, your time. Learn. Become a le- become a learning and action nut. Learn like heck, but take action because there's a ton of learners out there that yeah, they take never action, do anything. Right? Just keep oh, going yeah. to courses. One course they- to the next. And just throwing money away. And it hurts me when I see people 10 years ago and they were exactly the same place they were 10 years ago. And they're still seeking. Well, there's, there's this whole market's full of people that are standing on stages and writing books that are skint. And so they've got true. no money whatsoever. And even the big companies are only one paycheck away from business. Somebody, right? uh, you're so right. Somebody approached me a few months ago saying, I'll coach you. Mm-hmm. And I said, fantastic. What qualifies you to be my coach? Mm-hmm. And they got all upset. <laughs> but I asked the question. Like, how can you be so upset? It's the right question. What qualifies you to be my mm-hmm. coach? Right? They should have said, did, 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 did. So, but if you can't see it, checking my reference on LinkedIn, you shouldn't be asking my, you know, the kind of client I want. And, uh, okay, thank you okay. very much for that. That thank was a good time. approach. Yeah, that <laughs> Don't was a good approach. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was <laughs> like, yeah, I can't see myself working with you for long. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, um, where's, where's the future for Phil? The future is building apart my from, team. Apart from February. Apart we know you're going to win this race. The, yeah, I'm going to beat myself. Okay. I'm going to win do it. Do you have a time in mind? Uh, I do not. Uh, for me, I know my goal. My goal is finishing it in the time that's allowed. Uh, that is my goal. So there's a time restriction. This can't yeah. go for eight, nine, ten hours. Is a time restriction. Yeah, I believe there's a time restriction because they all want to go home at some point. Sure. Because so marathons, you can be in as long as the last person lasts, right? I marathons. don't know how it works. But no, I know my goal. Uh, you know, I, I realized years ago I'm never going to be the next triathlon world champion or underwater hockey, which is my other love. So I, I just do it, and I know I want to beat myself. That's it. If I've done it... Amazing. So the triathlon's one. The other thing's building my team. I mean, Dubai's got, well, I don't know, 450,000 small businesses. I can't get around them all. I need more people who are better than me, different to me, to get out there and make the differences using our tools. So you've got to have um, more franchisees within More franchisees or community managers on the masterminds. This is your chance. If somebody become, wants to become a franchisee, what do they have to do? Please, Eric, we have half a million viewers, so. Yeah, I mean, drop me an email. Um, phil at rebelnetworker.com uh, or uh, phil, or oh, I suppose you might put the link. Yeah, we will, um, we will. Yeah, put the link underneath. Just drop me an email and open a conversation. You know, a conversation never hurt anybody. And from the conversation to actually becoming a franchisee, how long does it take? What's the process? Depends on the individual. It's not for everybody. Depends on where they are in their journey. Uh, it could be anything from, you know, a couple of months to a couple of years, you know. And can this earn them a good enough living for them to finish their, what they're doing, to do this full time? Yes. Okay. And it depends on the person. Okay. Do you mind if I ask how many you have at the moment, how many franchises you have? Uh, I've got one franchisee here at the moment and about five trains. So huge, huge opportunity. Yeah, massive opportunity. Amazing. You know, I mean, you could be working with 80, let's say there's 100 people, right? And you're working in adding value. That's a good income. And that's 100 people from 600,000. There's a lot huge, of people out there. Huge. A lot of people. And, and, you know, I can't, do you know, I'm not everybody's cup of tea, right? Neither but are you, can't neither be. are you, yeah, neither exactly. are you. And the point is, 
that's why I want men, women, different nationalities, different. So languages. somebody, somebody's so got to somebody sing, yeah. sings to somebody, right? That's interesting. That's really but the skills are similar. It's just that relationship building can be different. Yeah, we've got the same tools, right? But I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if you know, when you're going deep into who you are and what you do, you know, if you're naturally from Pakistan, well, you might open up to someone that speaks your from language me, yeah. and you understand it better than, than some Brit, right? Who doesn't understand your heritage, your knowledge, or what you've been through. So true. So we need that, you know. So true. So, um, from who are your ideal clients? Are they mostly SMEs? Uh, yes, entrepreneurs. So first generation entrepreneurs. Okay. Uh, we spoke. We spoke about why. Yes. Uh, first gen entrepreneurs who are big learners. Uh, they come from a background in marketing where they will invest and they they appreciate spending money to get it. They are coachable. Yes. Can't have arrogance. You know, it's someone that knows it all. For They're you. humble enough to humble enough to, to know they don't know yeah. it all. And you know, I've had to give money back to people that I know are not. Sure. Um, um, they are relational. They see the value of people. They take action. They, now, here's the thing with me: they value family health, life. Because wow. some people, if I free up time, they'll just go and work harder. Yes. Now that's okay, I can help that, but it doesn't yes. motivate me. Yes. You know, I want to be making a difference with That's me. amazing. So to you, it's personal? Very much so. It's personal. Amazing. Very much so. Amazing. You know, and going back to that kid, you know, you know, it's, you know, the kid that was bullied and stuff. So here's the thing, Darish, you know, people see me on a stage, they see me filling They don't see They their... see me networking, right? And they're going, yeah, but Phil, this is easy for you, right? Yeah. You know my story. It ain't easy for me because every time I fill a room, every time I do something, deep inside me is, what if they don't come? Yeah. What if yeah. they don't come? I'm not oh good enough, God, right? Is standing here. Yeah, I'm not good enough. So what I've done is I've learned it's a, a system every and a day process. Yeah. yeah. But here's your secret. Even if you're not natural at this, if you can learn a system and a process, it works for you. It works for you. And so it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer or that. We can help them. They just got to be willing to learn. So true. So true. Speaking is something that I'm not comfortable with, but when I do speak, people say, "Oh, I'm touched because my stories are from the heart, right? From the heart to the heart." Thank you. Inside, it's that little kid who thinks he's not good enough. Yeah, and it's such a challenge every single time. Every single. But you know, here's here's the thing. Someone, have you ever heard the saying, "Those who can't do teach"? Yes. Right. Well, I think that's why they become teachers. It's meant as almost an insult, I believe, but actually, the reason they can't do is what makes them patient yes. it gives them the ability to break things down it's because for them it was never natural it was always tough That's interesting. and I think and, and so for me speaking was you know uh, for me when I was in um, uh, when I was dancing when I first learned to dance I was a terrible dancer and that is because it was hard for me to do now I'm a great coach yeah well you can still dance yeah okay, I so can dance but I, I'm a better coach, coach than you because are. I can break stuff down and because I'm patient and all that and mm-hmm. I can do how long, I've got two left feet. How long would it take me, it's repetition, repetition. So any, you can teach anybody to dance, right? I think so. Um, you know, I've had people come to me because they've gone to another coach and the other coach has said, oh, you're useless, you just, you'll never be able to dance, never go did. away. Well, that's the coach's fault. Yeah. You know, my honestly, I've taken people that have got three left feet and after a couple of months, they're doing something. I remember a guy once, and it's one of my biggest successes. He came to me, he was terrible, but he refused to give up, right? Um, six months later he's standing there and he's with his friends and they were all sort of having a none of his friends could dance and this gorgeous girl came up and asked him to dance and he went up and spun around the dance floor his friends jaws hit the floor Wow! and that was it you know you've made a difference you know what's amazing about salsa I've actually uh, gone to some clubs in Manchester where I lived many years 
and it's incredible how men and female dance together in a kind of a, it's a, it's a sexuality, it's beautiful dance, but yet there's no sexiness about it. Does that make sense? There's no sex involved, but it's a yes. very sexy sensual. dance. Yeah. Sensual, but it's so safe environment. Am I, is that making sense? Yes, absolutely. I, I couldn't understand because they have this most beautiful dance and they go, thank you, thank you, and they go the separate ways. And then another couple come and dance beautifully and then they yeah. go separate ways. It's not yeah. like, oh, you're dancing now, you, you like me, I like you, let's go out tonight. Well, although there are people out there that abuse that. Do they? And, yeah. and you can see it and it's completely uh -huh. inappropriate. Uh -huh. yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. But it's a beautiful dance. It's a beautiful dance. So why did you choose salsa? Do you know, I was living in Spain. So uh, you learned it in Spain? Yeah, I was in Spain. I was just um, hanging out with a friend and there was a girl that was running dance classes and she needed bodies. And I kind of went along as the body, right? And at yes. the time I couldn't speak Spanish, so I was just couldn't speak, couldn't dance, couldn't speak Spanish. I was just kind of this, almost like a zombie. Yes. And um, so we're doing rock and roll, jive, salsa, tango, the whole yes. lot. And uh, yeah, it was the body. And then I went back to the UK, and I needed something to do, so I got into salsa, and just went from there. Well, what I find is, um, do you have any bad days? Do you have days that you don't feel like going to work? Do you feel like just? not going out of bed because I, I see you and I think Phil doesn't have days like that no do you, do you, no. you don't yeah, yeah. no not really I mean there's days when I'm a little bit more tired than others but, but you I, always I love what I do amazing yeah I love what I do amazing some central nucleus thing going on all the time yeah I think I'm blessed yeah I think you know, you know I think at the end of the day there's people out there working 40-50 hours a week on a production line moving their arm up and down and that's their life for 30 years but this is a life you've chosen to have you're living the life but that they've chosen to do that right or well, not sometimes or it's not, desperation or not yes. but you know and I, by the way I've worked those kind of jobs yeah. you know I washed up for two years that's how I put myself through college but yeah. I chose to have my day off at college yes. not my day off down somewhere else wasting my time you know so um, you know I'm blessed I think you know are you planning 10 years ahead now, 15 years ahead, or you just live every day as it comes, but you... Yeah, I mean... Uh, there is I, no I, retirement for you though, is there? There is no retirement. No, and that's the thing though, which I think, you know, I want to travel the world making a difference. Um, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I've certainly got an idea where I'd like to be. Where would you like to be? Either Australia or the UK. Um, Back to the UK? Maybe, but maybe a bit of both, because wife's Aussie. So, um, got, You've been got, many times. Got an idea, yeah, but why should you restrict yourself these days you know if you can stay flexible and you can enjoy it and, and travel travel and, and, and retirement's a very I think it's an old concept if you're enjoying what you do yes. you know you, maybe you amend what you do but you, you know you can maybe still you have make less energy right? but yeah. yeah you change it I mean look at people like Brian Tracy was he 80 still yes. out there doing it yes you know I mean why not yes well I wish you the very best of luck what I would love you to do come and uh, have a chat with us in about a year or 18 months so we can just work and see how you've progressed and developed your business and you expanded it. And uh, I would love to keep promoting your franchise business and, and see maybe we can get some really motivated entrepreneurs to join your Yeah, thanks. And your grab company. a coffee and ask and see what it looks like, see if we can return the favor in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it'd be a pleasure. Thank you so much. Awesome. Um, how was the event, uh, the Tony Robbins event? Did you enjoy it? Did you go? Yeah, I did go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you enjoy it? I've wanted to see him for ages. I mean, he's a master Never of his craft. Never seen him before. Never seen him, but he's a master of his craft, right? right. Um, yeah, the it was a the audience. I never thought in Dubai, I honestly thought that people won't hug each other. Hmm. I thought we said, you know, jump up and down and hug each other. 
Mm-hmm. It was amazing how 10,000 people did. Yeah, absolutely. So it really doesn't matter where in the world you're from, you still have this need to celebrate and physiology and hugging and it was really nice. I enjoyed yeah. it. No, I enjoyed it and I thought Nick was out of this world as well. Wasn't yeah, it? Nick, he's become a personal friend now. Amazing. You know when you see somebody, Nick Wojcik, and when you see somebody who, one thing I noticed we're talking to him and he's stranded his hair fell on his face mm. and he couldn't put his hair back. He mm. had to ask somebody to do that. I'm like, oh my God. Mm. You know, what have I got to complain about? Mm-mm-mm. What have I got to complain about? When some little thing, you just do this or whatever, you know, yeah. I don't know him, but let's, little thing that you just take for granted. He had to ask somebody else to move his head out of his eyes. Yeah. Uh, and so humble, so nice, so loving. Mm-hmm. But his microphone didn't work, did it properly? His, his clock, timer clock didn't yeah, work. Yeah, that was an experience. Yeah. He was really upset because he, was, he wanted to give an exact hour to the audience. Yeah. But he was shortchanged uh, 15 minutes. He was so upset. He still got his money. He still had his audience. But he wanted to give more. This was a, a real amazing you know, sign of this guy. Yeah, I, I felt for him at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they gave him a wrong uh, phone. He l- locked somebody else's well, I mean, lock. That, yeah, let's not go there. I know. I don't care. It was horrible. I was cringing. And the night before, all, um, Alicia Keys was doing a rehearsal mm-hmm. and we came. And all they said to him, what do you need? And he said, just my photograph, my kids and the audience of 100,000 people or whatever. Yeah. And the pictures didn't come on. He only asked for two things and my stopwatch. Yeah. So they got the picture of his family, yeah. but the picture of the audience, 80,000, 100,000, didn't come on. And his stopwatch didn't work. I was like yeah. cringing for it. Because I, I personally invited him over. Right. So... Uh, yeah, beautiful guy. Mm-hmm. He's got a curriculum. He's got a curriculum who stopped bullying and educating people that stand up for themselves at school. Yeah. So uh, I'm helping him selling that curriculum worldwide. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I introduce you to him. Yeah, yeah, because like I like said, my history comes from bully, being bullied. So. I introduce you to him. Yeah, Seriously, yeah, on a personal yeah, yeah. level, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to come here next month, see if we can maybe yeah, wait for you nice. to meet him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he blew me away. Yeah, yeah. Really beautiful good. guy. Thank you so much. I know thank you're you. very busy and I know you're in pain and I know you have a, a class soon. So thank you so much for your time. And thanks for, thanks for having me. It's the most uh, time we've spent together really, isn't it? It is. Yeah. In all these we send each other text messages and stuff. Yeah. But let's make some time to meet I each other. I think we properly. should, yeah. Done? Yeah. Good. Cheers, buddy. Thank you so Pleasure. much. Thanks so much.